There are very few things that you can spend $9.99 on that will make a difference to you every day and leave you smarter and more informed about the stories that matter to you. A pair of socks or a candle will not do that. But for the cost of one of those things, you can give yourself or someone that you care about a full year subscription to The Washington Post for just $9.99. This amazing deal is back and it ends on January 4th. It only takes a minute to subscribe. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I mean, you should see my tree right now. It's half done because I haven't had time. And a, <laughs> and a, a rational person would not even try and not put up a tree. Well, and you know that if someone walks into your house and sees a half-done tree on Christmas, that maybe they won't be judging you, but you will certainly feel like they could be judging you for having not finished the tree. Or I'll say, why did I even bother if I wasn't going to finish it? Like, now I've got needles everywhere because I forgot to water it. (laughs) The ornaments are already out. And so if I've gone, I've already gone to the point of no return. So I might as well have it looking decent. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, December 23rd. Today, we're talking to Carolyn Hacks, the advice columnist for The Post. And she's helping us answer some questions that we've had about navigating this time of year. The holiday season is always complicated. But if you throw in a pandemic that keeps changing, things are getting a little weird right now. We had Carolyn on earlier this year to talk about how to navigate life post-vaccination. And we called her again ahead of the holidays to help talk us through these sticky social situations that come up when we're trying to gather with friends and family safely. We got a bunch of great questions from readers and listeners. But first, I wanted to ask a question of my own. So, Carolyn, I think that for... A lot of people who are seeing their families for the first time in a long time because of COVID, one thing that can come up is checking in about healthcare stuff or medical stuff. Like you can see someone for the first time, you're like, oh, have you been seeing the dentist? Have you been seeing the cardiologist? Have you been seeing the eye doctor? Like all of a sudden I realize you can't see anything or... I think you need a hearing aid or you haven't been going to PT or, you know, like these things that come up that when you're talking over the phone, you don't realize haven't been happening. And then all of a sudden you want to pester your family members about trying to keep on top of things having to do with their health. And so what is your advice for navigating this kind of situations and whether you should even attempt to do that at the holidays, like talk to your family members about being more proactive or on top of what they need to get done to stay healthy? I tend to be on the radical side of leaving people to their own care. And we're talking now about seeing people for the first time in years and in a holiday family setting. That's an occasion for even more restraint Hmm. on topics like that. And I realize it can be really difficult when you see that somebody has deteriorated and you want to say, wait, no, you know, take care of yourself for me. If you could set that aside for just appreciating the person. I mean, the reason you're caring about their health is that you want them around. And so at the moment you have them around. So enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And 
spend your time with that person. And if in the course of natural catching up or natural togetherness, these things come up, then okay, get involved, but also get involved in a, in a, in an inquisitive way instead of a commanding way. Hmm. You know, I see you're not taking care of yourself. No, that's not really going to make anybody <laughs> feel inclined to go call a doctor. But you say, hey, how is, how is it with such and such? How is that doing? Are you, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? I think more of a seeing how they're taking care of themselves as a loving and interested party. But that can even wait till after. I mean, right now you have a moment to be in each other's presence. And a conversation like that can happen over the phone or over Zoom. And so maybe once you've enjoyed some time together, then you can say, hey, you know, if, if you're feeling really concerned and if you have standing to do this, and that's the other really important thing, which could be a whole other answer. But if you have standing to get involved, then you might say, hey, it was really great seeing you. I was concerned about blank. Tell me more about what you what, what you mean by standing, because I find that very interesting. I am um, as someone who has lots of aunts and uh, a mom and a grandma and family members who feel that they have standing to comment on anything related to your body or your life. I would love a more specific definition of what standing actually means and when are the times when people can and should be commenting about, you know, what they think that you should be doing for your body or your health. I wish there were a hard and fast definition. I wish we could say, well, when you're talking to a competent adult, it's none of your business. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I do think that's the baseline. But at the same time, we are not all perfectly rational actors. I mean, sometimes we're going to be in denial about things. Or we're going to postpone things. And having somebody who loves us to come in and make a comment can actually be a nice, necessary push to do something. So I think that you start with a baseline of leaving competent adults alone. And then you look for other reasons that you might have standing to say something. And that would be, for example, that somebody is clearly not facing something that is obvious to everybody. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's very good advice that I will be taking to heart. So let's go ahead and listen to the first one of the voice memos that we have from our listeners. And you haven't heard this yet. I haven't heard this yet. And so I am looking forward to hearing it. Hi, Martine. This is Lauren Klegman from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I am in a slightly kind of awkward situation. I've done this for many years. I am a very liberal person. I even have Elizabeth Warren on my car. And I have to go every year. I have to go to a family that is filled with ultra conservatives. And for once and for all, I kind of want to like put my foot forward, not in a mean way, but just kind of express myself a little bit more um, in an authoritative way. And these, thanks guys. Bye. This feels like the question of our times. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that I think so, so, so many people I talk to are going through of, uh, I don't politically align with my family members. And so that brings up a lot of conflicts when I go visit them. I know that you have answered a ton of questions about these kinds of situations. So I'm curious to hear your reaction to Lauren's situation. I will say up front that I will back up anybody who wants to opt out or anybody who wants to get in there and try to be civil. But I think you have to go in there with with the plan to be civil. 
And of course, when you're being civil, that allows you an opening to take a stand when somebody is being offensive. And so if you're talking about normal political divisions, then you can agree to disagree and you can say, let's agree to disagree, or let's not talk politics at the dinner table, or I would appreciate if you would respect my differences and I am happy to respect yours. But if somebody is saying something that is that is openly offensive, that's racist or sexist or promoting violence, then you're into a position where being civil actually, I would argue, demands taking a stand, saying that mm. is offensive to me. I do not accept that. Please don't say that in front of me. And I think when you're going down that road, it's important to prepare yourself for what comes next. You know, if the person ignores your request to stop saying that, to stop telling that joke, then you have to be ready not to stand for it, which means, you know, scraping your chair back and walking away. Wow. And maybe even getting into your car and leaving. I mean, these are these are things that you might have to do. And I think it's really helpful to think this through before you go. Say, okay, what am I prepared to do here? Mm-hmm. Am I going to go with the disengagement? Am I going to go with engagement up to a point? Pre-thought is, is, I think, helpful, especially if it involves transportation, if you have to find a way to get yourself out of something. <laughs> yeah, you're, the way that you navigate the situation is different depending on whether you have a car or not. Um, no, I, but I, I think that's really smart in terms of actually thinking it out and gaming it out of like, okay, if they say this, what will I say? And what to me is like a, a, a line in the sand that if somebody crosses it, I am prepared to do X. And um, I, I do feel like we're all sort of faced with the situation of when someone says something that is going to be potentially offensive or hurtful or um, that we think is out of bounds, like, do you just roll your eyes and sit quietly at the table and say, look, I'm here to just be here and I'm just going to not engage and grip my teeth and get through it because that's all I feel like I need to give to the situation? Or is this something where I feel that the best choice is to actually say something and be prepared to, as you said, scrape your chair back and and leave? So I, I think that's helpful to come up with a game plan for in advance. And I also think that even though I said at the beginning that you have the option of not going, but you also have the option of recognizing that we need to learn to get along, I don't want that to stretch into a suggestion that you have to fight these fights at the table for the cause. Because I think going satisfies the idea of the cause. But I think getting into an argument with Uncle Billy at the table isn't going to change anybody's mind. If you have an idea of the the macro situation, which is splitting the family is not making anything better, but the micro situation of arguing every little point is also not going to make things better, I think keeping those things in balance is, okay, I need to maintain relationships with my family, but I do not need to accept every invitation to fight. After the break, Carolyn reflects on how to cope with the stress and expectations of the holiday season. We'll be right back. So let's go ahead and listen to our second voice memo from another listener. Hi, my name is Jonah. Um, My wife and I have been very careful during the pandemic. Um, I think one of the many reasons we've been so cautious is that uh, we live in fear of remote school. We want to 
do whatever we can just to run out the clock so we don't have to do the remote school thing again. And so there was a, an event for a number of parents at, at, in one of our kids' classes. And, you know, there was mentioned there was an outdoor space and we just kind of figured, all right, people would be masked indoors. There's a mask mandate where we live. And, uh, you know, they would go outdoors to eat and there'd probably be some heat lamps. And uh, so we were really shocked when we got there and there were 30 parents all unmasked, just kind of hanging out, having a regular old party. And, uh, you know, my wife and I kind of looked at each other and, you know, just grabbed their coats and sat out on, on the deck and sat by ourselves in the cold and watched this party and just kept asking ourselves, are, are we being crazy? And I know it's impossible to say like what's safe and what's not, because it's all about levels of, you know, how safe are things, but is this smart? Is that safe? I should mention that everyone at that party was vaccinated, but should I be concerned that that's running a risk of bringing a breakthrough infection into the school or just continuing to spread COVID through the community while um, it's still uh, prevalent? First of all, let me provide 100% sympathy on the fear of remote school because mm-hmm. I have found myself circumscribing my life significantly because I don't want to be the the person who starts the chain that gets my kids back on Zoom mm-hmm. because it was it was awful. I have three high schoolers and this is not it's just not good for them um, at this phase of their lives to be stuck in the house. And so I am keenly aware of the risk. At the same time, I am not an epidemiologist, so I will not touch your question of whether what they did was safe because that's not what I do. That's not my area of expertise. I would say to any situation like this, thank you for being mindful of the risks. You have done your part. You can't change the minds of the people in that room. You also can't make their risk assessments. And I think as long as you are in a community where you feel like the people there are trying to steer the boat in the same direction that you are, then you make your assessment accordingly. And if you feel like you can't be sure, then absolutely pass on going inside. Again, I think we're in this sort of weird place where where we just have to be really careful about managing our own risks. And sometimes we have to just accept that we can't make those decisions for other people and then behave accordingly. Do you think that this listener should complain to the party organizer and say, hey, I and being really cautious, as I thought we all were, and... I don't know. Certainly, if you object to the way a gathering was run, you can talk to the organizer after. But I would save that for if this is something that might happen again. Hey, thank you for getting everybody together. I really appreciated the outdoor space. I was concerned, though, that nobody was wearing a mask, and so we opted out. Is there any way we can, if we do this again, to maybe enforce the mask rule? So I have a reader question that I'm going to read. This one starts, the holidays are tough for me, and I've noticed myself getting anxious and upset as soon as November starts. Growing up, holidays were filled with stress, conflict, and feeling obligated versus excited to attend holiday dinners and parties. I live across the country, but I'm guilted into flying home for the holidays for the sake of family, which ends in myself being overextended emotionally, mentally, and financially. So my question is two parts. How do I find joy this holiday season? And how do I communicate gently that I no longer wish to spend the holidays with my family in future years? I mean, we we talked a little bit um, about how we kind of need to take pressure off of ourselves and how to 
mediate a little bit of that like emotional and mental overextension, but especially communicating, look, I, I don't think I want to come home for the holidays in future years. How do you do that? When I hear that question, the first thing I think is, well, don't go this year. If, if you're this stressed out about it, just don't do it. Take a year, blame COVID, or just say it's too much right now and don't go. But if you do go, then you can say, okay, I'm going to have a a game plan for these situations that I know stress me out. But you can also decide to sort of approach this by getting out of yourself and look around at the people you see every year. So your experience has been one of stress and frustration. Have you looked around the room and noticed maybe somebody else is also struggling and maybe you haven't noticed it before because you're kind of in your own head Hmm. and could you go into this Christmas paying attention and maybe being there for somebody who else is having a tough time it just changes an experience completely because you would feel like you're doing something good and you're getting your mind off your own frustrations but as for the second part if you're not going to go anymore then I think you just say I think it's time for me to start making my own traditions where I am Hmm. and every single family tradition, no matter how long it has been going on, started because it replaced something else. And you can say, this has been great. This has been the family thing. I'm going to start my own now. And just hold it and, and, and say it as if you're entitled to say it. Don't say it as if you're saying something bad. Say it as if you're saying something right and natural, because you are. And you have the right to do that and feel good about it for your own reasons and let everybody adjust. I love that. Just just say it like you're building something new, which you are, and then it's exciting. That's great. On that same theme of new holiday traditions, I really like this letter that you got from a reader, and I wanted to ask you about it. The letter begins, where do you get started with building holiday traditions for a new family? My boyfriend and I come from religious families, but we aren't religious ourselves, so there's a little bit of tension in how much of the festivities, church-going, telling of the Christmas story, that we are willing to participate in. We are new to the area and hope to have a hearty group of friends by this time next year. But for now, no parties await us. So how do you build those kinds of traditions? I think gradually, patiently, in the spur of the moment where you can. And I think with a foundation of warm memories from past traditions. So if you care enough about this holiday to keep celebrating it, even though you've removed certain parts of your traditions, there are still other things that mean a lot to you. And those are available to you in some other form. You just need to look for some creative reuse of them. I mean, music, lights, food, these are very simple things. Just it's community. These are just such basic human forms of celebration. And mm-hmm. and I know that, for example, people get sad when the clocks turn back and everything gets dark. But there is something beautiful about the early dark because of all of the lights and all of the, you know, the cuddling and the 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 being in a warm home. I mean, these these are these are just sensory pleasures that you can build on when you're trying to create a tradition for yourself. One thing that I feel like I've seen more and more of my friends celebrating is traditions around the holiday times that are not actually rooted in the holiday itself, like the winter solstice, that they're finding ways to still be celebratory, but in a way that is explicitly not 
religious or at least based around like Christmas or Hanukkah. And I think that's an interesting way to still lean into what is celebratory, but to do it in a way that is it feels like it sort of frees yourself from having to be explicitly religious. I don't know if you realize it, but you've been talking all this time to an atheist who celebrates Christmas. So oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I think that there's a lot to be found in the season because even though Christmas has become a, a juggernaut, it really is a collection of a bunch of different traditions that are pegged at this time of year. We mark the time as sort of a natural instinct, but also, I think, giving ourselves ways to enjoy what is beautiful is also a completely legitimate way to live. I think that is a great way of describing it. It's going to be my mantra for the holidays. Giving ourselves time to appreciate what is beautiful. Carolyn Hacks is the advice columnist for The Post. This episode was produced by Ariel Plotnik and mixed by Renny Svernovsky with help from Jordan Marie Smith. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. And if you celebrated, Merry Christmas. I hope that you have a restful time with new traditions or old traditions or no traditions at all if they don't serve you. We'll be taking off on Friday, December 24th, so there won't be an episode in your feed, but we will be back on Monday, the 27th. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our supervising senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are Alexis Diao and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Our producers are Lena Mohammed and Jordan Marie Smith. Ariel Plotnik and Renny Spernovsky are associate producers. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are assistant producers. Sean Carter is our engineer. The post-director of audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. 